Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Who Says No. We are in the middle of the NBA Finals, but as we tend to do on this podcast, we are going to ignore that entirely and focus on fake basketball things. But as fake as it is to us, it is very real to these players. We are going to talk about rookie extensions. The 2018 draft class will be eligible this offseason, specifically the first round picks. There are 30 of them, and we're going to go through each of them. Joining me, as always, when we have to discuss cap-related matters, Hoops Hype's Yossi Goslin. Yossi, how you doing? I'm doing well, Sam. Uh, I believe this is like my fourth time on. This is uh, number four. I want my acknowledgement how I'm still number one in, in terms of appearances. So Billy Reinhardt came on for his second appearance, and we All were right. kind of talking like, you know, the Nets are pretty interesting. You know, if we're doing more Nets pods, you might catch up. And I just thought, like, somewhere my spidey sense went off, like, Yossi's not going to let that happen. Well, even when I'm, like, far away ahead, like, 50 deep, I still want my I still want to be acknowledged each time. <laughs> you've got to lap the field, too. Like, you've got to show these young whippersnappers, like, no, no, you're the prime guest on this show. I love it. All right, so the basics of what we're going to do today is we're going to go through all 30 first-round picks from the 2018 rookie class, and we're going to figure out, A, are they going to sign an extension this offseason, and B, if they do, for how much. So before we get started, Yossi, do you want to just walk us through what the max is for these guys, you know, what kind of extensions they're looking at? Right, so uh, for the 2018 draft class, if these players... Uh, they could do generally a four-year deal, but uh, if you're going to get the max, then you can do five years. Uh, the five-year max is, uh, oh, I believe, 168 mil, and the uh, designated rookie max or the Derrick Rose provision max is 201.5 million. I believe those are the figures, the projections right now. At this so, moment, Luca is the only eligible Rose Rule guy, but obviously next year that can change, correct? Right. So should we just get into Luca then? Yeah. Uh, so we have a category at the top, which is the bells and whistles max, which is five years, the two hundred and one million. You get the Rose Rule max raises starting thirty percent, eight percent raises thereafter, and we'll say a player option on the fifth year as the superstars tend to get. I have two guys in this category. I think they're very straightforward. Luka Doncic and Trey Young, do you have any objections? None whatsoever. Luka has already qualified for it, having gotten All-NBA honors twice already. And uh, I think he's going to take it. I did write something earlier uh, about a month ago about what a player like Luka and then more and then later in the future who this could apply for is Zion. What they're risking by... Uh, not signing that, which is basically like something around 50 to 70 million. Um, and we've seen some stories that maybe Luca isn't for long term in Dallas and Zion might not be totally happy in New Orleans. But uh, until that happens, we're going to assume that uh, these players are going to take their max if they're a max player. And uh, yeah, Luca will definitely. I don't see him turning it down. And I think he already hinted at it in an interview. Someone asked him, are you going to take it? And he's like, oh, I think you already know the answer to that. Unless unless, unless I totally misread it and it's the opposite. No, barring something crazy, I think Luca is absolutely taking it. The, be- yeah. the bigger question here is, do we think Trey is going to qualify for it next year? And the truth of the matter is, I think his stock around the league has improved enough that like, 
I would say if everybody's healthy, there's a good chance he's still one of the six best guards, right? Like all of the, you know, the bad, the bad narratives about him, about him not being a winning player, those have to be gone right now. So the only question is, is he all NBA player next year? I would say 50-50-ish, right? If one or two of the right guys get injured, I think he's going to get there. I want to say a very good chance. You basically, you got to be one of six guards. So, I mean, we could go through that. Obviously, there's some finagling you could do with the forward spots. So Yeah, Luka uh, being a guard or a forward, and LeBron too. Like yes. That's where things get a little complicated. But like, yeah. okay, let's go through the guards then. Steph, we assume, is going to make it. Lillard, we assume, is going to make it. Harden, we assume, is going to make it. Those mm-hmm. are the really obvious guys. Luka will make it somewhere. We'll say maybe right. as a guard, maybe as a forward. LeBron, let's say, probably makes it as a forward. So now you're in that next group where it's like Kyrie, who did make it this year, right? Uh, he did. Bradley Beal made it for the first time this year. Right. Um, Clay, well, Clay coming back from two injuries, so I would say it's less likely that he's going to make it. Chris Agreed. Paul, we'll see. Devin Booker, we'll see. Devin Booker like, did not think, make it this year. But who, who, I think uh, Devin I, – I was thinking Devin Booker also. The same reason you're saying about – Trey Young's stock is just up right now. I think we could say the same thing about Devin Booker. I, uh, as long as they have strong seasons next year, and you know, statistically they had amazing years. It's just that the guard class was just so loaded. It was really hard to pick uh, which guards. Even if you pick Trey Young and Devin Booker this year, like it's not you can't not much to disagree on. So it's basically uh, a matter of a who's healthy and b whose teams have the best seasons, right? Yep. Like, that's what it's going to be. If Bradley Beal is totally healthy on a 30-win Wizards team, I would say he's probably not going to make it next year. Or, like, if Steph misses 30 games, he might not make it. But I would say, personally, if I were ranking the six best guards in the NBA, Trey Young would be on that list. I feel, though, that if the Hawks and the Suns replicate what they've done um, record-wise, just based on their playoff performance that might be enough to get young and booker and i just mentioned booker because if he's all nba next year he also becomes super max eligible but that yeah that wouldn't be a rookie extension but he would be eligible for the 35 percent, the super max like essentially yeah that, that one Giannis got and a couple other players have gotten any chance yeah. trey young becomes eligible through defensive player of the year so oh yeah <laughs> that can also that's all yeah that, he's also got that avenue or mvp you never know but I don't. Well, I, Zion actually, I think, has a good chance of becoming eligible next year. Like I partially through all NBA, but like I feel like if if the Pelicans are decent, like they make the win jump next year, there might be a narrative push behind him the way there was for Giannis a couple years ago. Yeah, I, I'm also assuming Zion will. Uh, w- however, in the next two years, he'll. I think he'll qualify for it one way or another. At the uh, so with Trey, it'll definitely be. He'll get the provision, and it'll just be one of those uh, watches where, like, will he actually qualify or not? Will the voters this grant him with a Supermax or not? We saw it didn't work out for Tatum this year. Uh, and then and I remember recently didn't work out for Towns, didn't work out for Clay Thompson for the veteran Supermax. Uh, so this might be the next uh, next one of these. So my one little bit of concern, and I don't think Trey Young is going to be the guy to take a haircut here, but Atlanta is about to get very, very expensive. They have another player on this list who's going to make big money. John Collins is restricted this offseason. 
Now, Gallinari only is a partial guarantee the year after next. They've got a little bit of a way to sit, shave a little bit of money, but like, where do you think the Hawks are going to save some money? Because if you're paying Young his max and you have Collins at something close, Bogdanovich at 18 a year, like, things get expensive pretty quickly. I'm glad you brought this up. I already made a projection looking into not this coming season, but the first year of Trey Young and Kevin Herter's uh, extensions. And uh, it's going to be very expensive. If Trey Young gets the the 30% max, and and we'll we'll get we'll get into Kevin Herter later, but I I just gave him something in like the mid to high teens, uh, and then you've got uh, all the you got the rest of whoever's under contract there, including Gallinari. The Hawks are already close to 30 million over the tax. That's, and that's for the uh, first year of the Trey max, yes. correct? And so at that Kevin point, Herter, also, and I've got Kevin Herter in there. At that point, also Reddish and Hunter are extension eligible. So yep. things get even more expensive. So I believe there would be one year where, in theory, if they kept everybody, Young, Herder, Collins, Hunter, and Reddish would all be on market value with Bogdanovich still making 18 as well. So, like, my God, you're looking at one of the most expensive rosters ever at that point. Although uh, we might have a so we might know. not be that. I don't think we're it's – not, it's not quite there. Maybe, like, later, like – three, four, five years from now could get, like, most expensive of all time territory. But even just, like, for the first year of Trey Young's extension, Hunter and Okongu and Reddish, they were high draft picks. They're making a lot of money, even though it's not like, you know, they're, they're Hunter will be making basically $10 million that year. Okongu will, will be making about 6.4. Reddish will be making $6 million. Like, these guys were high picks. They're, that's a lot of money just for – you know, former first-round picks. Well, also Clint That's Capella, up. although Clint Capella declines, right? He's a what? His contract declines, I believe, right? No, no, it goes up. Oh, it does He'll go up? He'll be making 20 mil. Okay, so that's another very expensive player. At a certain point, they're going to have to start making decisions about, like, who, who are our five core guys, and we have to see how the next year or two goes before they make those decisions. But the point is the Hawks are about to get very, very expensive. I want to lump the next two groups in together because I think there could be some movement within those groups. So the first one is the non-bells and whistles max, guys, which is just straight up five years, 168. We're going to say no player options, and we're going to say no rose rule bumps. And then the next group would be close to the max, maybe not quite to the max. The first group, the guys that I do think are going to get maxes, number one, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, which I feel pretty comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Number two, I think this is the one that people might fight a little bit with, is Michael Porter. Now, I would have some Joel Embiid-style injury protections built in. I can't remember the exact provisions, but it was based on number of games, right, that you had some non-guarantees in there? Uh, I don't know the, what it is. I think here's diff- I don't know if you have to limit it to games or I don't know how you do it. I know Jonathan Isaac also just got something. I think he's also... He's also got the similar provision, but yeah, I would definitely put that on Michael if if you're going to give him a max or close to it. And then the guys that I have as like close to the max but not up to the max are DeAndre Ayton, Jaron Jackson, and Mikael Bridges. Would you move any of those three guys up, or would you move any of the guys in the max group down? So I would say that Shea Gilgis-Alexander is as close as you can get to 
getting a max out of this group. I would be pretty surprised if he gets anything less. And I think they'll even put in the provisions for him to get the uh, 30%. I, I doubt he'll get it. Well, that's the advantage of offering it, right? Because you make the player happy even if you don't think they're going to get it. So, like, in theory, it'd be funny if, like, Landry Shamit got it or something. Yeah. Like, okay, Landry, good luck. Yeah. But... Although, I guess he wouldn't be signing anywhere near enough to, like, get that point. But the, the point is, like, there is some goodwill you could get from the player by building in Rose Rule protections or Rose Rule raises right. that you don't think are going to actually come. Yeah, it reminds me of with Darren Fox. I don't think he ever had a chance to get it, but they gave it. They just for the Kings, it's just like, well, like we, they probably knew he wasn't going to get it when they. That's why they happily gave it to him. So, although I will say the thing that confused me about Fox was, didn't they give him the player option? I think that was Donovan Mitchell. I'm not sure. Oh, I'm, maybe I'm thinking of. Mitchell. I don't. I'd have to look at it, but. Uh, but yeah, last year there was like a real rash of basically everybody who extended got the player option, and my thought is like, if you're giving out Rose Rule um, races, but. Like, isn't the point of that, like, keep the guy happy so that you don't have to give up the player option, right? Now, for somebody like Luca, who's that good, you just say, screw it, whatever he wants. But the other guys, it's not so sure. I want to talk about Aiton a little bit more because I think there was this kind of big push over the course of the postseason where people were like, oh, of course, you have to give him the max, right? He's the number one pick. He's looking so good in this postseason. Colin and I did a podcast before the playoffs started where we were honest about it and we both said we would probably rather have Mikhail Bridges on our team, but we both thought that Aiton was going to end up making more money in the next deal. What do you think about that? Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I, so just to go back, yeah, Michael Porter Jr., I just want to say, though, I I don't think he gets the full max. I I think he might get something kind of similar to what Jalen Brown got value-wise, where it's like, you know, 25 to 30, 25 mil-ish. Uh, annually and then slightly goes up uh but at the same time the nuggets have been that was pretty, what i was gonna say the nuggets pretty, are very very um proactive on yeah. this front they've been throwing maxes like they threw a max at yoga they threw a max at jamal murray which you know they did if, not need to do you can make, like, in negotiations, you can make an argument. Like, you gave Jamal Murray a max. Michael Porter Jr., uh, I I don't know if he statistically he's uh, ahead of where Jamal Murray was in his third year, th- first three years, but you can definitely make some type of argument that, like, hey, if you give Jamal Murray a max, Michael Porter is definitely worth the max. So that's something I would keep an eye on. Um, Denver's already going to be super expensive. Jokic is going to get his super max eventually, too, on top of that. So very interested to see what his number end up, ends up being. But, okay, then back to the Suns. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I think if you're any of the other 29 teams, you much rather have Mikhail Bridges than DeAndre Aiden just because you could plug in Bridges so much more easily to the modern, modern NBA lineup. Um, but I think after the offseason that the Suns just had and the way DeAndre has played – He's definitely in the conversation for a max. Now, I don't necessarily agree that he's a max uh, player. I'm, and I, I've told you privately, like I'm not super high on the given any big a max. Yeah, contract. I was gonna say you just really don't like big. I, I don't like. Yeah, I don't think. I don't personally think DeAndre Aiden, like John Collins, should be getting the maxes. But 
with that said, the markets, I think, will say otherwise. Uh, I think there's a very, very high likelihood that DeAndre Aiden, anyways, will get the max uh, or close to it. Well, I think what we've seen in the finals that should give maybe the Suns some pause is that Aiton has looked very good in the playoffs when Chris Paul and Devin Booker are like really humming and they can just get him all of these very easy points. But like we kind of saw this last night over recording this after game four where Chris Paul wasn't quite himself and Booker had to create everything. Aiton couldn't like create any offense for himself and that's through no fault of his own. Very few big men can actually do that. But if you're giving somebody the max, especially a big man, I would say you need one of two things. You need the guy to be like defensive player of the year, kind of good on defense. Like I disagreed with Rudy Gobert's super max, but I understood where Utah was coming from. Or you need to just be a killer scorer, right? Like you need to be Carl Anthony Towns who can like create 25 points for himself on any night very easily. Aiton is neither of those things. Aiton is just very good at a lot of different center things. And I think for a long time, he's going to be like the fifth or the sixth or the seventh best center in basketball. I don't know. I wouldn't be crazy about giving that guy the max, especially when you also have to play pay bridges. And let's be honest, like Chris Paul, great story. His next contract probably isn't going to be great, right? Yeah, especially if he gets the maximum of maximum amount of years he's allowed to get, which is like if he opts out, it would be three. And the Suns are going to be pretty expensive too, just like we were talking about the Hawks. You can basically like you can get to very similar conclusions with the Suns. Um, but I think the good thing Aiden has going for him is you saw Miami last year. They went to the finals, and Bam Adebayo was incredible, uh, and he got a max contract. And I think that's a really good analog for the Sun, for DeAndre Aiden. And uh, he's, he might not get the full max, but I think he's going to get pretty darn close to it. So where do you think Bridges ends up? We both think he's right. a more valuable long-term player. Personally, if I, I think if, if Bridges was a restricted free agent, I think somebody might give him 25%. I think like guys like that are so rare. Like Otto Porter got 25% max when he was a restricted free agent. I think somebody would give him that. I think he will take a little, not like take less, but I think he will take the security of signing with Phoenix now. I'm going to peg it at like, Four years, 100, 110. Does that seem about right? Yeah, I think uh, the biggest comparison I I come up I come up with, and I think a lot of other people have drawn is OG Anunoby. Uh, you know, very similar types of players, but also when you look at the contract he got, Anunoby got four years, 72 mil, uh, and so just to translate that, like. So you can't do you can't do a five year extension unless it's for the max. So he can do something like maybe you want to do something like four, and uh, you could obviously you gotta you're, you're gonna want to top that on a no B contract. So maybe well, also you have the finals maybe. bump, right? Because like you just made the finals, you've got to keep the team together. It looks bad for PR if he right. goes into next season unsigned and says I'm gonna go in restricted free agency. Right, so I think they'll, they'll try to do something. I, 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 I'm, I'm guessing 480 is the floor, and uh, maybe I'll get something closer to 490. I wouldn't. I think we're look. I think that might be the range. Uh, I think I'm a little higher than you, 
because I think he has a little bit more ball handling upside than I think you do. I don't think he's ever going to be a primary ball handler or anything, but like, I don't think he's a three and D guy either. And Devin Booker agrees with me. Um, wait, so how much do you think he should be getting? I'm going to say, I'm going to say around a hundred million, maybe like plus or minus 10 in either direction. A hundred over four. Yeah. I would personally feel very comfortable giving a hundred over four. Well, I mean, that's already a lot. He's already getting in the four eighties already making like 2 million more annually than what Anunobi would be getting. So I feel maybe, better about, but a hundred, I mean, a hundred, it, it's just that with all the other expenses, that's going to be, uh, I mean, I, I think bridges could certainly get more in restricted free agency, especially since he could get, uh, uh, since the Phoenix would be able to give him a fifth year then, but damn, uh, that's, it's going to, that I, I kind of see what you're saying, though. I could, I could see them breaking the bank a little more, because especially after this finals run. But then again, you, you know, like it's, it is the Suns. Farmer um, is not known to be, you know, super generous with the right. contracts. But this will be if they, you know, assuming they win the championship, then we'll see. Uh, if they win the championship, it's just everybody gets a max. Some Oprah yeah. stuff in here. It's like, Aiton, you get a max. Bridges, you get a max. Everybody gets a max. Um, and it's rough. If they the lose season. to the Bucks, another. No, game. like I actually, okay. kind of. Feel, I'm mean, not that I feel for Sarver in this regard, but like just in for a team building standpoint going forward, that they could win this championship, and now everyone's gonna get overpaid. But they might never reach this core. Might not even get back to the finals within the next three years. And well, if you win the title, banners fly forever. If you lose right. in the finals, then you make the argument that like maybe getting to the finals was not good for their long term development because then guys get overpaid and then like I mean I very famously had a bad take on the Suns in the offseason, which was that like I thought they should go for Fred Van Fleet because it was small because I thought going for Fred Van Fleet made more sense for their timeline. Like this year, obviously, if you're two wins away from the finals, trading all was the right decision. But over the next few years, like if this ball starts to fly and making max money, I think there will be a contingent of some fans that are thinking like, wow, I'd love to have Fred Van Vliet right now, or Tyrese Halliburton for that matter, who they didn't take. Oh, man. <laughs> but if you win the title, nothing else matters. If you win the title, like, you yeah. overpower everybody, and just, that's fine. No, you're absolutely right. But if we're being realistic, two, three years from now, I don't think these moves are going to be looked so fondly. I think that's fair. I want to yeah. get back to Jackson, though. Because yep. if it's a kind of big I would want to max, I think it would be him in theory. Because the theoretical Jaron Jackson is like Anthony Davis light, right? Like, great perimeter defender, can play five for you late in games, but like you also, he's probably going to play a lot of four in the regular season. He can shoot, he can put the ball on the ground a little bit. Like, he is the do-it-all big man, and not do-it-all in the way that like Aiton is with the little things. Like, Jaron is, in theory the do-it-all with the big stuff, big man. Like, I think there's a universe where he is scoring 20-plus a game and is playing great defense. The injuries are very concerning. Memphis also has, like, quietly a problem with having too many good players, right? Because mm-hmm. at least when you consolidate, if you're paying three guys the max, it doesn't really matter what else you have because, A, their salaries are limited, B, three max guys are usually, like, that's a formula for contention. But if you have 10 good players, 
that usually ends up costing you a lot more because their contracts aren't artificially constrained by the max. You're just paying them what they're worth. And what they're worth is like not max money, but usually a lot more than you'd think. So I think Jaron is going to get paid. I do sort of wonder, like with Atlanta, who is going to be the guy that misses out with? Well, the way you're, the way, despite Jaron's off season coming back from this injury, I actually think he's a lot more closer to getting 100 over fourth than Mikel Bridges. Um, but with what you're saying with the Grizzlies, I know what you mean. Like, I think every single guy on the Grizzlies, you can say, is properly paid outside of uh, Morant and Jaron. Like, they're all their role players that were that are like are post their rookie contracts. They're all pretty much earning what they're worth. If not, they're maybe even being underpaid based on how they played this year. Well, and, I'm talking about the younger guys, right? Like Brandon yeah. Clark, if he looks like he did as a rookie, is going to be expensive. Desmond Bain is going to be expensive. And these are problems for three, four years down right. the line, but they're still problems to consider. What I'm trying to say, though, is that I'm pretty confident that Mem- because Memphis has done such a good job with their veteran contracts, like with Valanciunas, with Dylan Brooks, Kyle Anderson, uh, D'Anthony Melton, I'm pretty confident that whatever they give Jaron, good chance is going to be uh, something maybe even in their favor. Uh, especially with his stock kind of down after the way he played and the injury, like it yeah, might actually work in their him now, right? Like you don't want to risk getting too restricted for agent. Cause like, I think yes. if he's healthy, he's going to have a big year next year. Right. And you can, you can make the argument maybe like, yeah, maybe a hundred over four might be a bit much, but at the same time, uh, if that's how Memphis, if they think he's going to provide that type of value going forward, then, I trust that they're going to make the right decision there just based on their history of giving evaluate uh, valuing players. And the interesting part with that is that they're not going to be uh, stingy on negotiations with Jaron, in my opinion. I think they'll give him something that, that definitely people might overreact to. Like even if he gets 80 over four, I could see a lot of people thinking that's a bit much. But the interesting thing is that they, if they uh, don't sign anyone to any, if they don't add any long-term deals, they could have max cap space in 2022. Uh, I even did a whole podcast Jer- about this with um, Joe Molnax from Grizzly Bear Blues. Yeah. So even if Jaron were to like hypothetically get a max contract, Memphis would still have max cap space for next soft season. So they're, they're still pretty short-term flexible. Like they're, they don't have to worry about finances yet. That's more of a long-term thing. I do want to go back to people potentially overreacting. I do think there might be a little bit of Jamal Murray syndrome here where the guy hasn't proven it yet, but the organization clearly has so much belief in him that not only do they want to commit to him, but they also want the world to know, right? Like, I think that played into it with Jamal Murray. I think that was partially the nugget saying, like, we think Jamal Murray is a star and we are letting the whole world know it. And that is, you know, giving him confidence. And then obviously the next year he comes out in that in the playoffs last year and it's fantastic. I will also say Memphis is in they're lucky to have picked Jaron before they picked John Morant because there are a lot of big men that when you really talk about the crucible of the late stage of the playoffs where matchups are everything and every little weakness matters, there are a lot of big men that would not be a good fit with with John Morant if they couldn't shoot. They have somebody in Jaron who can be a great fit next to him specifically as a five, right? Like 
I think we both agree Jonas Valanciunas is not going to be starting for them when they're contending for titles, but Jaron will be, and there's just so few big men like him that if you can find somebody that can space the floor for Morant and fit with him comfortably in pick and roll and also be a defensive anchor, there are like four guys in basketball that can do that. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. I'm not worried about Jaron's production going forward. He came back really late in the year. Uh, I remember how great he was before. Um, yeah, he, and he's an excellent fit with Ja. Um, I'm pretty sure he'll they'll agree to something. And like you said, the the fact that he just came back from the injury, I think he'll definitely want to lock something down now. Yeah, I would. I feel pretty comfortable among all of these guys. I would say Jaron and Aiton are the two that I'm most comfortable are going to sign. I think it could get a little contentious with with Bridges. I think Porter is a mystery, especially if you're talking about injury protections. And then SGA, the Thunder, are just kind of weird. Like, I think they should just max him out. But I never yeah. try to ascribe anything to the Thunder. I mean, if they unless they decide they don't want to pay him and just keep this thing going, then they could trade him. <laughs> I... At one point, I will do an entire podcast about that because it keeps coming up over and over again. And, like, I don't think they want to do it, but I guess I understand the logic. But I want to move on to the guys that I have in the starter category, like guys that we're going to say roughly 15 million, maybe up to 20. Uh, I have four guys in this group, Miles Bridges, Kevin Herter, Dante DiVincenzo, and Lonnie Walker. Who do you want to talk about in that group? So let's get into Kevin Herter since we already touched on him. Uh, I think after this performance, uh, especially single-handedly taking down the Sixers in Game 7, I think he's made himself a good amount of money. And I'm I'm thinking maybe he'll get something in like the mid to high teens. I think maybe he could get something in the 15 to 18 mil range annually now, if he extends right now. What do you think? So... I'm looking at what happened to Joe Harris in the Buck series where he totally disappeared. And there have been a number of guys like that, right? And I'm not trying to ascribe them stylistically. What I'm saying essentially is something we've learned this postseason really, really specifically is there are certain offensive players who just their game does not translate to the playoffs. It's rare for a guy in his third year in his first playoff run to so emphatically prove I belong in the playoffs. I'm comfortable with the moment. And you're not going to take what I do away in the way that the Bucks were able to with Joe Harris. Now, I, I will point this out. I think a lot of his success in the Philly series came down to the fact that Joe Harris, or not Joe Harris, that Seth Curry had to defend somebody, and very often it was him. I think if Thibel were defending him more often, it might have been a different story. But I think it is so... You're, you're rolling the dice when you're acquiring any player, right? That no matter what they are in the regular season, no matter what their skill set is they might just crap the bed in the playoffs. Like that's just the thing that happened. Joe Harris did it. Eric Bledsoe did it. There are starters around the league that for whatever reason don't translate well and Herter does. So I think there's no chance they don't at least resign him. Plus this is the other thing we didn't mention with Atlanta. We talked about consolidation with some other teams, but Memphis specifically, I think Atlanta is ripe for a consolidation trade at some point where they trade three or four of their good young players for a true superstar to put next to Trey Young. If you re-sign Herter for market value, that just gives you matching salary that you need for that deal. Right. Um, but um, after now that I'm thinking more about it, I'm wondering if Atlanta would just pass on an extension if Herter's going to be getting something in the high teens, if he's going to be demanding that much. 
because he also got the benefit of you know the Hawks were very deep when they constructed this team like when you look at all the names there was no way that they were gonna everybody was gonna get playing time when with when fully healthy but they had a lot of injuries DeAndre Hunter missed a ton of time um Chris Dunn basically missed the year um Cam Reddish missed a ton of time so Kevin Herter got a lot of time from from that end uh maybe so so that's one of the and obviously he showed how productive he can be but maybe Atlanta thinks you know like we we're gonna get very expensive regardless Trey and and Collins are the priority right now maybe they feel like they could get him for a little less if they don't extend them uh, and take it to free agency or my backfire maybe he gets even higher offers well i was gonna say how could his value really raise that much right because he's not gonna handle the ball much with trey and bogdanovich there so like in theory you might you could argue that this is the peak of his value and that even if he plays really well next year it's gonna be in a lower end role so it's not like he's gonna be more valuable next year although restricted free agency is a different beast right like what tends to happen in restricted free agency is either guys get low-balled and they have to resign or take the qualifying offer, or some team knows we're not going to get this guy unless we overpay, so let's just go ham and somebody offers him $23 million a year or something. I would personally right. say if I could get him, I'll put the number at 16. If I can get him for 16 a year, I would just sign him right now. If it gets a little higher, I might be more willing to roll the dice. Yeah, I think if he's asking for like what Bogdanovich got, seventy-two over four, yeah, maybe you want to let him hit free agency first. But if it's something closer to sixty-ish over four, okay, you know that's reasonable. That's definitely tradable, also. Dante Divincenzo is a player that I know you are not particularly <sighs> fond of, but I will look. I will argue that the Bucks just have no other choice. Yes, right? They have no way of replacing him. So they have to pay him starting caliber money. And by the way, like he was their starting shooting guard and he was like a pretty good role player for them. Right. Like there was nothing wrong with him as a starter. Certainly they'd love to have him right now. I feel pretty comfortable saying he's going to get like 15. What do you think? I think maybe closer to like 12. That's what I was thinking more. So with DiVincenzo, which I think might be like, I, I feel like that might be even a little more than, he, he really is giving back, like, based on his production. I think that's pretty generous. Um, but at the same time, yeah, the Bucks they probably will uh, pay whatever. They might over, they'll overpay him if needed to keep him just because they're capped out, they're in the tax, uh, they're basically going to be above the apron, so they can't do any sign-in trades. There's, they don't even have their pick this year. They'll have the... 31st overall pick, but there's really little they could do. Their biggest moves, other than uh, their biggest moves, are basically going to be resigning who they've got, which it will be PJ Tucker, Dante DiVincenzo, and then probably using their Emily to bring back one of Forbes or Portis. That's basically so two, it. So, two thoughts. First of all, that is an old, old roster, right? Like PJ Tucker is 36, Drew Holiday quietly is, I believe, 30. Chris Middleton, I think, is right around 30. Mm-hmm. You want to win around Giannis for, like, a while, right? Like, he's only 26. You've got a long runway. You need some guys on this roster who are going to be trending in the right direction. Dante is, like, the only dude who that's true of at the moment. 
Maybe they hit on the number 31 pick this year. Like, maybe they find some diamonds in the rough. I would also say, like, he's not a shot creator by any means. But you've really seen just how little dribbling they have in their lineup right now, now that he's out. So just having somebody who can, like, attack a closeout would mean so much for them right now that I sort of feel like they've seen what life without him is like. The reverse of that is that they're in the finals and they might win the championship. We've talked about Bridges Nate and getting the finals bump. Steven Chenzo gets the reverse of that, right? Like he might, they might say we made the finals without you. We won the title without you. Why should we pay you? But I just, they have so little options that they just have to resign their guys. My guess is something around 48 to 55 over four. I think that's pretty fair for him. I, I go slightly higher, but I, I get what you're what you're saying. Yeah. I just want to talk about the Spurs more broadly. I have Lonnie Walker in this group, too. I think the Spurs have correctly realized that among their many, many, many young guards, none of them are like particularly likely to pop, but one of them is going to. So they've kind of just been giving all of them in that same range, right? Murray was 464. I think White was a little bit less... I would just say re-sign Lonnie Walker on the hope that, like, maybe his upside really shows off next year when DeMar DeRozan is gone and he can get more shots in minutes. Where do you stand on him? I'm not sure how to value Lonnie Walker, and I'm not sure if they should extend him just to, you know, just to... to, I don't know if that's going to help showcase him if they have him already locked up. Um, I mean, I guess, again, like, kind of... I think he would earn a little less than DiVincenzo right now. Maybe he could get something in the like uh, seven to ten range on an extension. I could see the Spurs viewing that as potentially team friendly on their end if they think Lonnie will finally uh, start to really improve. But they have so many guards on their roster. They already committed to two of them. They got another one in Vassell that could, that could be on the rise. Maybe they draft yet another one. But you're forgetting just, about the, the highest upside one on the bunch, which is Kelvin Johnson, who I think is like, that's the one I'd really be committing to. But isn't he more of a forward? I mean, I perimeter player, I would say. Like, not necessarily guard-sized or anything, but like, he is the one that I look at and say, if somebody on this roster is eventually going to get to like 23, 24 points a game, he's the one I would pick. Yeah, only cost Kawhi Leonard, so to get him. <laughs> well, what I would say... <laughs> is somebody on this, like the whole goal for them right now is find a star within the roster, right? Because they're not going outside and they're not going to draft highly enough to get one. I think DeMar presumably leaving in free agency is going to open up that opportunity for somebody, right? Maybe Kelton Johnson is scoring more, you know, like maybe Devin Vassell can do more than be a 3D guy. But I think the guy who stands to benefit the most next year specifically is probably Walker, right? Like, his role's been a little inconsistent. At University of Miami, like, I just thought he was so explosive and just had so much upside that has yet to be fully tapped into. I don't know. Like, my point is, I don't think the Spurs are really in a position to haggle here, especially because there is a chance that his value goes way up. up. I don't think his value is going to go that far down, right? Like, I think if you can get him for 13 a year right now, maybe next year you could get him for 11, but he might also cost 25. I don't know. I I feel like he's more likely to get traded this offseason than extended. That's just me, though. Um, I mean, there's a justifiable argument for the Spurs trading basically anybody on the roster. So I do get where you're coming from. What about Miles Bridges? And I mean, I I don't 
I have a hard time valuing him because I enjoy watching him so much. And I do wonder, like, how is he going to look when the stakes are maybe a little bit higher? Like, are these highlight plays going to translate? What do you feel about Bridges? Um, I agree with you. I'm not sure how to value him either. But he's kind of in a good spot with Charlotte, considering that this is going to be their last. Uh, they'll probably use cap space this offseason. And then they have to pay uh, Devontae Graham. Uh, they'll pay whoever they sign. Um, they'll pay uh, maybe Malik Monk. So the con- so the money's going to add up at that to the point that it's unlikely they'll have cap space next year, which would go... Which bodes well for Miles Bridges, where he could get extended anyways. But yeah, the question is, where do you value him? Because it just every time it feels like he has an opportunity to to showcase himself, then something happens. Like they signed Gordon Hayward, and now he's coming off the bench. But then he got hurt, and Miles Bridges looked amazing in the last few months of the year. So it'll just be I don't know where they stand with him and. I, I like Miles Bridges a lot, but I also wouldn't be shocked if Charlotte just decided to even even trade him this offseason just to maybe do some type of consolidation trade for someone more expensive. So well, if I had to value him, though, um, I'm definitely I get I could see him earning around what I mentioned for Kevin Herter. Uh, good chance. I think he still has a lot of potential. Good chance that he even out uh performs the value of whatever his next extension could be well here are the questions number one does the shooting sustain he shoots 40 percent on threes last year he was like 32 percent 33 percent his first couple of years i think most people would believe he's probably not a 40 percent shooter if he's 37 you feel comfortable paying him as a starter if he's 32 that's another conversation i would also say we expect if they're going to use cap space this offseason it's going to be on a center if they're getting somebody like Rashawn Holmes, then you're probably not throwing as many lobs to Bridges, right? I mean, that's the, the question is, what is the rest of this lineup going to look like? As for the defense, I think it's a little more theoretical than it is actual, but I am pretty bullish on its long-term upside. So I don't. I think he's just a guy that has so much physical potential that I would probably just lock him in saying, like, the number isn't going to be so big that we can't trade this if need be. I, I think I agree with you. Um, like I said, especially if they're going to re-sign everybody else, extend everybody else, I think they might as well, they'll most likely uh, extend them to something. Like, you know, anyways, Gordon Hayward, who knows how durable he's going to be, as amazing as he was this year. Eventually, he did come down with with an injury. And so you're telling just, me stretching Nick Batum to sign the guy who always gets hurt was a bad idea? Uh, definitely not the best. That was way not good practice. I'll say like you, there are there are other ways you can generate cap space without right. doing that. Way. That was I mean I called it one of the worst contracts in years last year when it happened. I don't think Gordon Hayward getting what was it four for one twenty in a vacuum that's bad, but I don't think that's horrific. It's twenty seven million in dead money for Nick Batum. That is what I can't abide. So that is what I think is I really going to come back to haunt them. To be honest, if I'm Charlotte, I, I I did not like that Hayward contract the minute it was signed, especially for like the back end of it. But this year, he looked amazing. I would cash in, trade him. I, I would cash in. Exactly. 
Yeah. You have cash out on it. While his stock's relatively high, uh, and then you have well, more money to pay Miles Bridges. I was listening to Zach Lowe do Ben Simmons trades on one of his pods. I, I can't remember who he had on as a Sixers guest. And he mentions Gordon Hayward. And I'm like, well, number one, the Sixers are going to say no. But the fact that this is a conversation, like, imagine if the if the Hornets could get away with offering Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, and, like, two first-round picks for Ben Simmons. And you had Simmons and LaMelo moving forward. You'd have the greatest transition roster in NBA history. I'd say, yes, just go do that. Oh, my God. If they can get Ben Simmons for, yeah, Hayward and – I would try to do – That's what I would offer. Everything that's not nailed down, you can have. Uh, I don't think they even have to do that much. They could probably do Hayward, a pick, and, like, one other guy like Washington. I think that gets it done. I mean, even if it's Rozier, I'd say that's fine. But anyway, on to the next group. Yeah. So this is where we kind of start to see the cutoff financially. I've got the lowest rookie extensions from the last several years in front of me. Last year, Kyle Kuzma, three years, $39 million. Year before that, Torian Prince, two years, $25 million. Year before that, Justice Winslow, three years, 39 Year before that, TJ Warren, four years, 47 Year before that, Cody Zeller, four years, $56 million. So the last time we saw a rookie extension for a guy who was making less than $10 million a year was in 2015 when Jeremy Lamb signs for three years and $21 million. There was a couple in the years before that, like the Morris Twins did that weird joint deal where Marcus gets four by 20, and I think Marquise got four and 30. And then the weirdest one that we will never see again, 2013, Quincy Pondexter signs for four years and $14 million. I've never seen a rookie extension like that. And I don't think we'll ever see it again. But the point of the matter is we're now starting to get to the financial range where if you're not signing here, you're probably just not signing. So these are guys that I have in the high bench money, like maybe $10 million a year, maybe slightly more, slightly less. I have three guys in this group, the Time Lord Robert Williams, Landry Shamit, and Wendell Carter. Who sticks out to you there? Wendell Carter, especially after how he played upon arriving in Orlando, he was he hasn't been the same ever since that ankle injury he suffered last year in Chicago. But uh, it, that trade just rejuvenated him. He looked really good. And Orlando, they like extending their players on rookie scale contracts. Uh, they they like to. They'll, they'll give some pretty solid value deals. Um, I see. So all those players you listed, they all like on the higher end were earning about 12 to 14 mil annually. And I think that's a very fair uh, valuation for Wendell Carter. And I, if I were him, I think I'd be pretty happy with that. Uh, maybe he could, he decides to bet on himself because he's in such a good spot in Orlando. Maybe he could earn himself a little more, but uh, overall I, I'm pre- I feel pretty good about both sides agreeing to something. Well, there are two kind of concerns there. Orlando has two centers from this very class that were in the top eight. Mo Bamba, they picked number six overall. You figure they're probably only going to commit to one of those guys for the long haul. I would say Carter is probably likelier, given how little yes. we've seen out of Bamba. But I'll put out that, A, Mo Bamba has more upside, and I think like there are going to be teams that call the Magic this offseason and say, like, We'd like to trade for him and then give him like two years, twenty million or something. Like I think there's going to be belief in Mobamba whenever he can escape Orlando. And then the other part of it is how well does whoever their center is fit with Jonathan Isaac, who's coming back this year? 
I think Carter's theoretical shooting makes him an interesting fit for Isaac. And then obviously defensively, I think there's a lot of upside in that group. So I agree with you. I think Carter is going to come in at something like 12 million a year, right? Like low end starter, high end bench. Yeah. Uh, and, and like you said, uh, with the rest of the team with, which is the mainly Isaac and we'll see how uh, Fultz and Hampton pan out and whoever they draft at five and eight. But I think what you can do, you can plug in Carter with so many different types of theoretical builds that as long as you get him, get him in on a solid number there, it's going to be a solid value. So let me post something to you. It's a little unrelated. I think there's a good chance Orlando is the worst team in the NBA next year, right? Like the only veterans on that team, I guess Isaac is now a veteran, like amazingly. Terrence Ross is still there, but like, is Markel Fultz going to be your full-time starting point guard? The number five and the number eight picks. You're presuming that they're going to play a lot of minutes, right? Because they're just totally in developmental mode. I do think there's an argument for any of the young guys on this team just kind of be like, you know what, chill, because we've got a chance to play a lot of minutes and put up a lot of shots. So I agree, there is some potential for Carter to just say, I'm going to bet on myself. But if that's the case, I wonder if they do try to play Bamba off of him at all and say like, okay, well, we'll re-sign Bamba and that'll deprive you of a landing spot here. I do think ultimately, though, they're just going to re-sign him. What about the Time Lord? Because like, my God, you want to talk about range of outcomes. There's a scenario where he's like, you know, one of the best centers in the league. There's also like moments where you watch him and you just go like, does he know that that they're running a pick and roll here? Like (laughs) it's very, very, it's all over the map. The upside is so, so high game. One of the Brooklyn series. And I I wrote a story about this after the fact, that was the first time I watched him and was like, this guy is going to be an all defense guy someday. Like it's, it's sitting there for him. It's so tantalizing, but Boston is in this really complicated situation where they're basically at the tax as it is right now, even after the Kemba Walker trade. If they re-sign Evan Fournier, they're probably going to be in the tax this year. And then you would presume, if they're keeping this group together, they're probably going to be in the tax for several years thereafter. Or there have kind of been some rumblings. I haven't done a deep dive on this yet, but like Jason Tatum and Bradley Beal are good friends. Does Boston try to go the cap space route and kind of carve out a max? And say, like, we're not giving anybody long-term money this offseason. Interesting. I haven't gotten I've, – I've briefly looked into that cap space route. Um, uh, they'd have to trade Al Horford, not wait on They'd have to, like, yeah, trade they, him. And get but him. it's easier to trade with the non-guarantee, right? Like, because you could trade him into somebody's cap space and, like, they could say, okay, we're waiving him. He's only going to cost us, you yeah. know, the 14.5. So it's not like you're dumping somebody who has a $30 million cap hold. The other guys, like Smart expires. Fournier is currently a free agent. Your young guys are mostly pretty cheap because, like, there are some guys at the end of the lottery, like Neesmith Smith was 14th, Romeo Langford was 14th. Those guys are either easily tradable or they're value contracts. So I don't think clearing cap space would be that difficult for Boston if they wanted. The question is, like, do you like Robert Williams' potential enough to, like, do you askew that opportunity to say, like, we want to keep him as our long-term center, or do you say it's more important to us to keep our options open? Uh, that just kind of we we it just depends how Brad Stevens feels about Robert. Um, well, we know how Brad Stevens feels about Robert Williams. You know why? Because they had to trade Daniel Tice just to get him minutes. Because Brad Stevens wouldn't or we wouldn't yeah, stop playing. that you know what? How how did I forget about that? Um, 
No, you know what? I, I think this one goes to free agency. Unless Robert ends up taking something really low, like like you were saying, not not like what that Quincy Pondexter deal, but maybe something like eight mil a year, which I think that's way below his value. Um, especially after doing this Al Horford trade, and they got Moses Brown, and they still got to figure out what to do with Tristan Thompson. Yeah, I, I, I well, think I'll tell you what they should do. They just gotta give somebody a pick to take him because he's useless. I think someone will take him though. I don't think they'll. I think they'll get like a second round pick for him. I don't like, think they'll get value. If they're trading him into somebody's space. I think they're yeah. getting up a pick. No, no. I, I see people thinking, oh, well, Boston probably have to give up something to get off him. No, they'll, they'll get a little something for him. Yeah, I think you're a little more optimistic than <laughs> I am. But I mean, it depends on what yeah. their priority is, right? Like Brad Stevens is a first year president. Ime Udoka is a first year coach. There's not really pressure on them right now, right? Like, if they wanted to say, like, we're going to go the cap space route, we don't really care about this season, I think it suddenly then becomes easier if you're to say, bye, Evan Fournier, like, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Okay, we'll just ride out the Tristan Thompson deal. But if they're trying to win next year, they probably do need to get off of Tristan Thompson if they're going to pay Fournier. Yeah, for this year, that's going to be most likely the the route, but... I'm kind of skeptical that they even do the cap space route just because my guess is they'll give Fournier a long-term deal. They might even extend Marcus Smart. He's extension eligible. So, uh, but I yeah, think we're going to see something interesting this offseason from Boston. I don't think they're just going to bring this team back. I don't know what that means, but like clearly there was a lot of dissatisfaction there this year. I mean, we'll see like what what kind of like what kind of uh, Front office moves Brad Stevens has up his sleeve because I'm not sure he's like got some grand plan in the making. Before you laugh at Landry Shamit, I just want to point out Joe Harris got $75 million. Like right now, especially, no skill is getting paid more than shooting. So, I mean, Landry Shamit, Steve Nash clearly did not trust him in the playoffs, but somebody will. Like somebody's going to look at that shooting and say, like, sure, I'll give you a mid level exception. So, the issue for the Nets is that they are so freaking expensive, right? Like, if you're re-signing Shamit, like, what's the opportunity cost there? I think they would certainly rather have Bruce Brown. Steve Nash has made it very clear that he trusts Bruce Brown more. But I don't know. Like, I, I think there's a good chance that this one goes for a circuit free agency or he's traded in the offseason. But I think whenever Shamit signs a deal, we're probably looking at something in, like, the $10 million range, right? Yep, I agree. Uh, you mentioned how they gave us two, gave that deal to Torian Prince with like two years, 26 mil. Uh, maybe they try to get Landry on a short-term deal where they slightly overpay him. But uh, I don't know. He just hasn't been he, – he hasn't really been the same since Philadelphia. Uh, well, there are and, so many injury risks, and clearly there's some self-confidence issues going on there. Yeah. Like he forgot how to shoot for like half of the season. No, I, 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 I know what you mean. It, it's just weird how I'm always expecting him to just turn it up, and he just hasn't been the same since getting traded to the Clippers. But uh, we'll see. I, I guess if he does get extended, it'll be something similar to what Torian Prince got. So I want to run through the guys that we're not going to actually talk about today just really quickly because I don't want to end on them. I just think that's bad audio. Right. Here are the guys that are valuable but not up to the typical threshold of a rookie extension. I have two guys in this group. That's Josh Okogie and Troy Brown. Any objections there? 
Uh, not really have not much to add on those guys. Right. I, I think they're valuable NBA players. I think they're going to have contracts and be in the league. I don't think that they're going to get, you know, big long-term extensions. And then these are the write-offs guys who I believe most of these guys either had their fourth year option picked, um, declined or are not on a roster at this moment. I have seven guys in this group. Omari Spellman, Zanin Musa, Jacob Evans, Chandler Hutchison, Zaire Smith, Jerome Robinson, and Mo Wagner. Hutchison is the only guy who I believe is on a roster and has not had his option picked up. Am I correct? Uh, no, he's going to be under contract for Washington next year. He's like in the right. same Kobe Brown category. And then, but yeah, everyone else, every other one of those guys you mentioned, I, I don't even think they're in the NBA right now. I personally believe in Mo Wagner, but I'm not going to go down that road right now. We're going to get to the last group here, which I think is the most interesting. You could slot a lot of these other guys into other groups. But what I call this group is the betting on themselves class, where I think their value is so nebulous that the likelihood of them agreeing to a deal with their team is unlikely. So I think we're either going to see these guys head to restricted free agency or get traded to a team that has more belief in them. I have seven guys in this group. The obvious one that we haven't talked about yet, and I'm sure listeners are wondering why we haven't mentioned him yet, is Colin Sexton. And then the six guys after that, Marvin Bagley, Mo Bamba, Grayson Allen, Aaron Holiday, Anthony Simons, and Kevin Knox. We should, we have to start with Sexton, right? Right. So if uh, Sexton were to sign an extension this offseason, my guess is that out of in your tiers, he is somewhere in between the Aiden Jackson Bridges tier and uh, right below them, and slightly above the Miles Bridges, Herder, Divincenzo. Uh, tier so uh you you think that most likely sexton will decline any sort of extension and just write a write out the next season try to get something close to the max yeah i think colin sexton is going to look at himself and say hey i averaged almost 25 points a game that makes me a max player and i think cleveland we've heard all of these trade rumors is not quite as convinced that he's a max guy now i'm gonna say this I personally am very high on Colin Sexton. Do you know how many players in NBA history have scored 24 points per game or more on, I believe it's 57 true shooting or better, in their age 22 season? It's a very short list. Maybe seven players? It's 16, but all of them became stars. And the last two, pretty notably, are guys that we've talked about on this podcast, Trey Young and Devin Booker. Now, I'm not saying Colin Sexton is as good as those guys, but I think there are a lot of parallels here as far as players who drafted by bad teams scored very, very efficiently early in their careers, but we wrote them off because they were on losing teams. I think Colin Sexton in the right environment, the right teammates, becomes a lot more valuable in the margins, and we know that he can score. So personally, what I, what I think is going to happen is he's going to get traded somewhere, but even if he's not, I just... He's going into next. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, but why is like what are the root? What is the reason Cleveland's looking to trade him? Is it just to save money going forward? Like they don't want to pay him what he's going to be commanding? Well, at first I thought they were going to draft Jalen Green, and that was like I thought it was going to be Jalen Green and Darius Garland as their backcourt. But now it seems like Jalen Green's probably going to be the number two pick. So at that yeah. point, drafting him probably. Then, like, I don't know why you're breaking up this excellent backcourt. Now, maybe they just don't think he's a Mac player. Like, maybe they just are low on him. 
Or maybe, and this is frankly irresponsible team building, maybe they want to use him to dump Kevin Love. Yeah, you don't, that is just, if they do that, that is just malpractice. Just, they give Love an extension the same year they drafted Sexton. You're basically, and then you're going to trade them together just to save money. You're basically throwing away the number eight pick. You're basically throwing away whatever you got for Kyrie. It would be so, so funny if we see, you know, Kevin Love get so frustrated on the floor with Sexton. You know, there was the famous video of pass that he threw. And then finally he escapes Cleveland, but Sexton is coming with them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, funny. So I, I did talk about the uh, Sexton trade rumors with uh, with Michael Scott on my in our most recent podcast. And uh, look, I'm not crazy about Sexton, but I I am afraid that I might I'm not high enough on him. Like the way the Cavs might be undervaluing him now. If they trade him and he's the best player in that deal, I'm afraid that could really backfire on them. And I mean, yeah, 20 to 25 million annually could be a lot for Sexton, considering that, you know, he's a smaller guard. And some people even peg him as like an elite backup going forward. But something tells me that he could easily meet the value of such a contract. Let me throw out a fake trade that I just thought of in this moment. What about Colin Sexton for the number five pick from Orlando? To Orlando. The magic, so they have Markel Fultz and RJ Hampton as their backcourt right now. But, like, I would say neither of those guys are close to sure things, and uh, even in the way that Sexton is. And the Cavs, like, you're not just trading him for, like, a couple of scraps, right? Like, say you're trading him to the Knicks for, like, Obi Toppin and the 19th pick. It doesn't appeal to me that much, although I guess I am higher on Obi than other people are. I think if you're trading Sexton and you're getting like a premium asset back, you could maybe draft Jonathan Kaminga or Scotty Barnes, somebody like that. That appeals to me a lot more. For Cleveland or Orlando? I mean, that's for Cleveland, but for Orlando, I would just say like, given the way your roster is built, like, isn't there some an argument for taking the sure thing, young guy? I think if you're Orlando, you need to take a shot on a uh, Kaminga or Barnes or... Uh, so you're just thinking about runway then. You just want to have as much time to rebuild as possible. If we're going to... I would say maybe like the seven or eight pick might be more... Uh, not just fair, but also like uh, maybe the Warriors could have a uh, nice use for Sexton. Oh, that's a good one. I like that a lot. I don't think seven alone would do it. Maybe seven and 14. Because they are so, so deep into the tax that, you know, trading for another star could be pretty cumbersome. And building out their roster with any depth is going to be tough. But getting a guy who this year is going to be fairly cheap, that has a lot of value for them. Uh, Quick aside, do you want to know how much the Warriors payroll is right now? Right now, before they resign, isn't it like 160? Uh, Yeah, the luxury tax, I got them at 163 with their two uh, picks. Uh, I'm not including Smilagich because I've seen some reports he might not return next year. But yeah, I, I think he's not going to be on that team. But so with 14 players, 163 million luxury tax payment altogether. That's roughly 338 million payroll yeah. and tax. And by the way, time. that does not include a mid-level exception, and that does not yep. include Kelly Oubre, who like yep. they didn't have a great experience with Kelly Oubre, but like letting him go for nothing after you give up a you know, really good pick to get him. Like, that's pretty tough. 
Yeah, and I imagine they trade maybe like one of those picks for Sexton or just anybody else. If you, if they re-sign Ubre to like a 50 mil starting salary, that's another hundred million in tax payment right there. That it's it, seriously, it's going to be maybe the most expensive roster in NBA history, and the competition is Brooklyn, who also yeah. like imagine if they re-sign Dinwiddie. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, but my God, those things are getting very very expensive. So I'll just before we move on to the other guys, just. It is, let's say it's July 5th, 2022. What contract do you think Colin Sexton is under? No, make that July 15th, so we have time for offer sheets to go through and everything. Um, I think somebody offers him um, one somewhere between 100 and 110 over four. I think he gets traded this offseason, and he has a great season next year, and he gets not maybe not the max, but like five one forty. Oh, if he gets traded mid season, he's gonna get so much money because that I, I team's gonna have no choice. Right, exactly. And I just I think he's the teams that are interested in him. I think the Knicks are a great situation. I think the Lakers are a great situation. I think the Heat would be an awesome situation for him. Like, can you imagine how beneficial the Heat culture would be for him? Would be perfect. So yeah. I, I think the teams that are interested seem to be teams that would be capable of inflating his value. So ultimately, I would say if he's in Cleveland, probably not going to sign. He gets traded somewhere else, maybe. But I am pretty bullish on what his next contract is going to be. Wait, can we agree that? Can we agree that no matter what, if if they trade Sexton, Cleveland is going to lose that trade? I would say it's like a 95 percent chance. Very, very high. Teams being thrown around like this, if it feels like that's already devalued him on the trade market big time. Right, like Obi Toppin barely played this year. And like, don't get me wrong, I am very high on Obi if you put him with the right partner in the front court, right? Like, I think if Cleveland drafts Evan Mobley, you have somebody that can protect him on defense and his shooting would make it Toppin that much more valuable offensively. That being said, like, Obi Toppin might spend the next few years the 15 minutes a game backup with the Knicks, right? Like, yep. he's blocked by Julius Randle. Like, I don't know how valuable he is. If that's the centerpiece we're getting in a Sexton trade, like, I'm sorry, that trade's a failure. Now, isn't there, uh, isn't there somewhat of, like, a CAA connection with Sexton and the Knicks? Uh, yeah, I, he, he is a CAA client, I believe. Yeah, that I don't know if Leon Rose was ever his agent, but I, he was CAA. Yeah, could, that could be playing into the Knicks thing. Yeah, so I, I agree with you. Like, unless they trade him for a pick and then hit a home run on that pick, which I don't think is all that likely, mm-hmm. I think they would probably lose that trade. The next guy, the only other guy on this list that I want to talk about in any depth is Marvin Bagley, which just, my God, I have no idea what to say. Uh, I don't think he gets extended. And well, that I think we can agree on. Shocker, Marvin Bagley yeah. not happy in Sacramento. Not only that, but if the Kings want, are, uh, if the Kings are going to make a serious effort to re-sign Rashawn Holmes, they'll need cap space. Uh Good chance that they actually salaried the Bagley just to get that cap space. That's that's more likely to me than any type of extension. I agree with that, and I actually think there are plenty of teams with space that make sense, right? Like, I think San Antonio would be a great one-year, like, rehab-his-value situation. I think Oklahoma City makes sense on that front. Like, the teams with cap space mostly make sense for Marvin Bagley this offseason, so I agree there is a chance— so let's say, hypothetically, that's not what happens, though. Let's say he just doesn't resign. He stays in Sacramento, and he has another year like the ones he's had. What do you think he'd be worth as a restricted free agent? 
Um, based on everything we've seen so far around what he's earning now, I would guess. Yeah, I'm thinking about that huge short-term deal that Jabari Parker got from the Bulls. And there are some similarities there. But I don't think he has even shown as much upside as Jabari Parker had, right? No, Jabari like, Parker had some, like, he looked amazing in his first two years. Like, I, I, I understood that, like, why they would give him the rebound. I can't really think of, like, a Marvin Bagley moment where uh, it seemed like he's going to just dominate the floor or really take control of the game. So non-taxpayer mid-level with, like, a decent team that can use him as a six-man. Something like that is the idea, I guess. For now, let's see uh, if he can stay healthy, and um, yeah, we'll see. There are none of these other guys that I feel like we really need to go into too much depth on. Like Kevin Knox, man, I don't know. What what do you say about that? Like the dude's just not a good player. I couldn't put uh, him in the write-offs category because he was the top ten pick, and because I don't want Knicks fans to be mad at me. But <laughs> he's not that far off, right? And uh, I was. I was trolling to my Knicks fan friend, showing him the 2018 draft, and I like I showed Kevin Knox, and then like the five players that went right after him. <laughs> um, I don't, yeah, I don't think there's any extension there. Most likely just salary filler. Um, yeah, out of that group, the Knicks, if they want to use, and they're going to use space this offseason, like I think it might behoove them to dump him now so they can maximize their space because they're going to have to extend RJ Barrett pretty soon, like. I think you've got to – they're not extending him this offseason, but, like, my point is they might be in a situation where they're using their space this year and don't have it next year. Right. So if that's the plan and you can, like, give up a second-round pick to the Thunder to take on Knox, you might just do that. Right, but they already have, like – they already have, like, close to 50 mil. I have them at 52 if they get rid of everything, like, not including Knox. Yeah, so they don't need to get off Knox's – six mil to get more like i don't think i think i think that's more cash space than they'll need which uh i think it would make sense to just hold on to Knox, so you can once you're over the cap you can use him to uh match salaries and in, in a different trade later yeah my one argument against that is that they have so many guys to resign that like if you can dump Knox and that opens up space for you to resign reggie bullock then okay that makes a little bit more sense um or Alec Burks or somebody like that, whatever. So that would be my one argument if they're going to go the cap space route, which I think they're going to. And then there's also the Mitchell Robinson situation, which my expectation right now is that they're going to decline the option, make him restricted and just pay him. Right. You agree with uh, that? I, that one's tough. I wrote uh, my uh, predictions on what will happen with the player and team options coming up. And yeah, because of the restricted trading issue that's going to really play into it but i think you know mitchell robertson he's for he was he's been great for a second round pick uh, in his first three years has had some injury issues the past year uh but like the knicks have i don't think they've ever i haven't seen any indication from them that they're like fully committed to him uh i don't know if he's going to be like their starter and once once they're like really competitive uh with that said i'm starting to think that they'll actually keep them for another year at that 1.8 just uh just because i don't know (laughs) well i think one 
they're going to keep one of Robinson and Nerlens Noel for the long haul, I think. Yeah. And I mean, if they, they could easily keep both right now, just well, they can keep both right now. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, if you plan to re-sign Noel for a three-year deal this offseason, <laughs> then maybe you just keep Mitch Robinson at his, you know, close to the minimum price and let him walk next year. But if you let Noel walk, you might want the security of locking up Robinson now. We talked about Mobamba a fair bit already, so I won't get into him. Three guys left. Let's just lump them all together. Grayson Allen, Aaron Holiday, and Freddie Simons. Of those three guys, who is the one that you want most? Grayson Allen. Uh, I agree. He, that dude was most. totally comfortable in big games. Yeah. No, he's he's looked great. He's he takes some he'll take some big shots when needed. Not afraid to take them. Um, I think Wait that's a pretty. I feel bad for a second. Why did I put Grayson Allen in this group and Landry Shamit in the other one? I think we got to switch those. <laughs> no worries, but um, I I I'm pretty optimistic that he'll get something done. Uh, as I said, Memphis very good at valuing their players. Not exactly sure where to value Allen, but I think he could. Like, I will first. Taylor Jenkins loves them. He starts them almost every chance he gets. Um, you know, you looked at what Melton got last year. Maybe uh, Allen gets slightly higher than that. Um, well, that's and, the one concern, right, is that they have Dylan Brooks, who I, th- I guess is a three now moving forward. You've already paid Melton. You have Desmond Bain as well. Like, that is a lot of guys in that two-three area where, like, I feel like they might try to lowball Allen a little bit. That's why I put him in the betting on himself category. So I, I renounce my, um, my complaint about my own decision. I think there's just a good chance that they're a little far off. Aaron Holiday is just somebody that, his role has been criminally inconsistent. And I think if you just let him, I guess he's, nobody's going to think of him as a starter at this stage, but like, I personally think he could play 25 minutes a game on a good team. Well, there's been, I've seen reports around the trade deadline that they were, I guess, Indiana made him available for trade. So we, I, I would, we'll see what they do with McConnell. Uh, but if they bring, and if they bring him back, maybe they uh, look to trade holiday again. Um, with Simons, I, I know the Blazers front office loves him. They didn't have any other backup point guard, so they could let Simons really shine. Um, but uh, they're also going to be very pressed against attacks going forward. Uh, unless they blow things up, I don't really see much of a reason to extend them now. Yeah, I mean, if they were to trade Lillard and trade McCollum, then you might just say, like, we got to keep all our young guys in place. Yeah. But I agree with you. Like, given their tax concerns, like, I don't know. I don't think keeping Anthony Simons is all that pressing. But as far as Aaron Holiday goes, I do wonder if TJ McConnell leaves, maybe he can finally get steadier minutes. Now, they have their own tax concerns. So if McConnell stays, there's no way they're extending Holiday just because, like, at that point, you've got to start thinking about dumping one of the more expensive guys, which... I don't think they want to do, but honestly, I have no clue what the Pacers are going to do this offseason. My feeling, maybe they try to salary dump Lamb, so then they could get more space to re-sign McDermott and McConnell. Uh, maybe they attach Aaron Holiday as an incentive to get off Lamb, um, or their 13th pick, I don't know, but um, that they could do, I think that's one thing they might do, and then you know, they got all these very solid starters. Maybe they could try to consolidate them for an all-star, if possible. 
I think one of the lessons of this podcast is that Sam Presti is definitely going to walk away with, from this offseason with a couple more first-round picks. Because we've mentioned like five or six guys that might need to get salary dumped. So where are they going to go? Of course they're going to go to the Thunder because everybody goes to the Thunder. Yeah, uh, the Thunder got some teams with some big trade exceptions to uh, like like Orlando, for example. They got that Fournier one. Maybe they could do something with that. Um, yeah, you got there. There, uh, there won't be a shortage of uh, dumping ground. That's for sure. I think that's the right place to close. Yossi, anything you want to plug? Uh, I have my podcast with Michael Scotto, the Hoops High podcast, every week. How have I not had Scotto on? He'll be on soon. How have we what? How have I not had him on? Because he's a great dude. Well, let's get him on. Let's yeah, he'll be, sometime this month. Or let's we'll do, do something with the three of us, too. We did lock oh, yeah. room once. Yeah, that was fun. Um, so, yeah, the podcast, we're doing that every Wednesday morning. We got a new episode out. I just had my Ben Simmons trade market article and uh, relating to our discussion on this episode, I have an extensions article coming out sometime next week where I talk about every single player in the league that's extension eligible from veteran extensions to rookie extensions and just explain their situation, their maximums and how likely I feel they are to extend. Um, Yeah. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for having me on. Everybody go read that story. Yossi, this was your fourth appearance. You have now doubled up the field. Where do you think we're going to be at at, like, opening day next year? I think we're easily going to be at, like, six or seven. By one year from now? I'm going to say opening day. I think oh, I, have, day? I, have one, I have one topic in mind that I know I want to have you back for, but I'm not going to spoil that. And just my other favorite thing about you as a guest, like, don't get me wrong, you're great when you're on, but the other thing I love is that you're just game for anything. Like, I could text you at any moment. You're just like, yeah, give me five minutes and we can do a podcast. Hell yeah, man. I'm always down to talk hoops. Let's do it. I mean, we'd be DMing anyway if we're doing it on the air, so that's how it goes. I'm saying nine. I'm getting nine by opening day. I think that's a little ambitious. Five more podcasts before opening day. Let's do it. Well, listen, (laughs) if you want to do five more, I'm totally happy to record five more. But as that'll be enough for today, we're going to stop at four for today. But I'm sure number five is not far off. I will be back with Colin pretty soon, and I've got another couple of guests coming up in the future. I have that, but that'll do it for us today. Go rate, go subscribe, go like, and we will be back next.